Last week we finished our um, series, our short series on the first four uh, chapters of the book of Matthew. Next week we're going to head back to Genesis and we're going to look at the lives of Isaac and Jacob. I preached Genesis in uh, chunks. I, 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 my first sermon series here, I called it First Things First, and we did the first 11, uh, 12 chapters of, of Genesis, and then, uh, then we left, and then later we came back and we looked at the life of Abraham for a while. Uh, and it's been a while since I've been in Genesis. Uh, I remember the, the last sermon there was the funeral of Abraham. And I don't know if any of you remember those ser- that sermon, and it doesn't matter if you do or don't. I remember that sermon, and it was a, one of my favorite sermons that I've, uh, that I've preached. And uh, so this week we'll, we'll come back, or next week we'll come back, and we'll start looking at the lives of Isaac and Jacob. But between there, uh, between sermon series, from time to time I like to have either a guest speaker or I like to preach a psalm. Uh, I think it would be very exhausting to do a, a series on the psalms, and I'm not a, a great expert in the psalms. How many of you would say, oh, psalms is my favorite book of the Bible. I love psalms. Anybody out there? Okay, yeah, we got one, two people out there that say three, all right. Three, now four, now four, now five, okay. All right, anyway, uh, several of you, I've met several people that Psalms is their favorite book of the Bible. It is what gives them joy and hope and comfort and everything. Uh, and, and that's just not me. I'm not very good at uh, looking at Psalms. Uh, whenever I read Psalms, it doesn't, they don't, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't get very inspired by Psalms sometimes. Uh, if I had a favorite Psalm, if I have a favorite Psalm, it's Psalm 139. I love Psalm 139. Um, and if anybody said Psalms is their favorite book of the Bible, probably Psalm 2 is not their favorite book of the Bible, okay? Or, uh, or excuse me, chapter of, of Psalms. It's probably not somebody's go-to for all, for all their hope and joy and everything. Uh, it just, it's just not that kind of psalm. Uh, it's more like a coronation psalm. It's a psalm that a king sings, and it's not just a, a king, but a king who's uh, facing some opposition so we're going to read, we're going to read the psalm, and then I'm going to uh, give you a little bit of background, and then we'll go back through it uh, a, a little bit by little bit, and I'll, I'll point out a few uh, helpful or interesting things to you, okay? Uh, let's pray, and then we'll start reading. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the psalms, and we thank you for everything they are, everything they mean to you, to the original recipients, and to us. Lord, help us to see things. Lord, there are a lot of things in the Bible that are just, uh, they seem so ancient or they seem so otherworldly. They seem that, like they're so far out uh, of our present context, Lord. But when we read the Bible, Lord, please put us, put us in the context of the Bible. and Help us to see what every passage means to us, Lord. Because even if it's a very ancient place, a very different kind of country, a very different kind of people, Lord, there's still something there. Humanity is similar enough worldwide that everything means something to us at some point. Help us to see and interpret and apply your scriptures uh, well, expertly and appropriately to our, to our own lives so that every scripture we read, every verse we read, every chapter we read really becomes part of our discipleship, part of who we are. Speak to us, Lord, in every book. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Psalm chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord against and against his anointed one. Let us break, down their, let break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters or their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger. 
and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth, ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. All right, so to really help us understand this, I have to explain to you what a vassal state is. All right, anybody ever heard of a vassal state? Do you even know what a vassal state is? All right, so in the, uh, in the world, and I don't even know when this really stopped being, and in a way it never has stopped being, okay? Uh, larger powers will lean on weaker powers and make them do whatever they want. Uh, but in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, um, what this king right here is talking about is he has ascended to the throne. He has maybe just been crowned this day, and this is a coronation song, a coronation song. And so on a king's coronation day, they, they talk about everything that he is to the country, everything that he symbolizes to the country. And one of the things he, he is, especially if you think of a British king uh, 100 years ago or 120 years ago, they are the, the sovereign over the empire, the sovereign over the empire. And the sun never set on the British kingdom. And so there were lots of little kingdoms out there, lots of little countries out there that even though they had a ruler, even though they may have had a king of some sort, there was a king over the king king over the king. And no king wants to have a king over them, okay? They all want to be the highest, but if you're a king of a small country and you just don't have all the power, you just can't make an empire like the way the British did or the Romans did or the Greeks did or the Babylonians did or the Egyptians did or anybody like that, then you, you become a vassal to them. They lean on you and you have to do what they say. Uh, and in Israel's history, um, they were a vassal state several times, but uh, Saul, he was starting to really push back against all the kingdoms around, but he never really accomplished it. And he never accomplished it. The Bible is very clear. He never accomplished it because he was never really fully following the Lord with all of his heart. But David was a man after God's own heart. So God really blessed David. And everywhere David went on any of his military campaigns, the first thing he did was he pushed the Philistines out. And then he would turn the tables where they're not equals anymore. The Philistines had been uh, over the Israelites. And then David would push them out, make them equal for a little bit. And then there'd be another battle. And whoosh, now the tables have really turned. And instead of us paying tribute to the Philistines, okay, because you got you to gotta pay them off. You, it's just like the mafia or something like that. You got to give them some kind of protection money, they called it. Protection from who? Protection from you. That's what I want, okay? I'm paying you off not to attack me. I'm paying you off not to come in and lay waste to our, our country. Uh, and then, guess what? The table's turned, and now David, after he has really put down the Philistines and, and subjected or subdued all the nations around, what's the first thing that happens when he ascends to the throne and his might is established? A king in the north said, <clears throat> David, would you like some cedar to help build yourself a, a palace? Would you like to do that? Why, yes, I would like that. And please bring some, send some stone and some workers along with it. You got it, David, because everybody wants to get on David's good side because nobody wants David to come knocking at the door. He's a warrior king. He's mighty. And the Lord gives him victory everywhere he turns. And so Israel ceased being a vassal state of any of the countries around them, and the tables turned. Then they became the power in the region, and 
all of a sudden the Philistines or the Moabites or the Amorites or the Gibeonites or the Ammonites and the whoever else are all sending gifts to David uh, as tribute, okay? And that's how his palace got built. And that's how the temple got built. And David uh, enlarged the borders. And Solomon enlarged the borders even more. And Solomon didn't really even have to go to war. Everything was so powerful and so well. The army was so powerful that everybody was just bringing stuff to Solomon all the time. The queen of Sheba, uh, in, the, in, in this, oh, let's say it's like Ethiopia now or southern Egypt, something like that. She comes and she brings so many gifts to Solomon. It's like nothing, nobody's ever seen tribute given like that before. And guess what? She left with even more than she came with because Solomon was that rich. Stone, you know, gold was like gravel in, uh, in, uh, in Solomon. Or maybe silver, maybe it says silver. Silver was like gravel in Solomon's day. There was so much coming in from all that tribute, okay? Now, this, was, this psalm was probably not written by David. It's probably not written by Solomon because nobody's, nobody's rebelling against them. But a few generations down the line, I've talked about it before, some of the kings of Israel become knuckleheads. And remember, uh, was it last week? I think it was last week. I was talking about how the temple started to get uh, contaminated, polluted with all the idols and everything that was coming into it. And the more you stray, they strayed away from the covenant with God, the weaker their military might became. And until you get to 2 Kings chapter 3, and it could have happened before, some before that and some after that, but all of a sudden, the nations that they had been exacting tribute from start rebelling against them. They start saying, all right, I don't think they're as powerful as they used to be. I've got my army. Uh, I think it's time, especially, hey, you king over there and you king over there. What do you say to the three of us next year? Just say, no, we're not paying the tribute anymore. We don't want to be a part of that. And it'll cause a, it'll cause a sting, no, no doubt. It'll cause a war. But I think we can take them this time, all right? And so they get together and say, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's stop paying tribute to David and Solomon. Okay. And the Lord had said, you know, when you start straying away from me, guess what? You're not going to have peace on all sides. When you start straying away from me, I'm going to bring troubles on you. And the kings that they were rebelling against in Israel, they're not the good ones. They're not the David's kind, the Solomon kind, or the Josiah kind. They're not those kind. They're the kinds that are bringing in uh, uh, other gods too. And so that is when all of these nations, these vast estates around them, start rebelling against them. They start, they start saying, let's break the chains. Let's throw off their shackles, okay? Uh, but this is a coronation day, and you never want to say to a king on the coronation day, you better be careful. You want, to, you, want to, you, know, you want your king to be confident. So they say, the one throne in heaven laughs. And of course he does laugh. The powerful people of the earth, the powerful kingdoms of the earth. Uh, do we really think that we are threatening God? No, of course, you're never threatening God. And what he says here, uh, he says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's my king. You king of the Moabites, you king of the Ammonites, you king of the Amorites, you're not my king. The king in Jerusalem, that's my king. That's my king. You rebelled against that king, you're rebelling against me. Okay? Now, the king's a little full of himself, isn't he? All right? And just about any king in the, in, in, in the world history is a little bit full of themselves. Okay? A lot of them, they claim this thing called the divine right of the king. I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. How do I know? Because God put me on this throne. Did he put you on the throne? No, he didn't put you on the throne. He put me on the throne. I've got the right because God put me here. So all y'all better do what I say because rebelling against me is the same as rebelling against God. And everybody says, okay, okay, we'll do it. Okay, okay, we'll do it. 
Rulers get a little bit full of themselves. Don't even have to be a king. You can be an elected leader with a term limit and still get a little bit full of yourself, okay? And you can be a pastor of a church. Big church, small church, it doesn't matter. You can get a little bit full of yourself, okay? But this king is expressing his confidence in the Lord. Whatever I want to do, the Lord's with me. Whatever I want to do, the Lord's with me. And if I've got the Lord on my side, nothing can stop me. And that's a good sentiment. That's a good sentiment. All right. Let's come back to, let's come back to the very first part there. And let's talk about rebellion a little bit. Let's talk about rebellion a little bit. There's a little bit of rebellion in all of us, isn't there? Isn't there a little bit of rebellion in your heart? Uh, and I know when it started. You were a toddler. You were a toddler, and that's when it started. The rebellion started coming out of you. I know I've got toddlers, okay? When, I, when my first child was born, a friend of mine texted me and said, your preaching just got much better, okay? And I don't know if that's true. But I can tell you this, that Elliot has mastered the art, and boy, here I am, a pastor using my children as a sermon illustration, and, you know, as long as he doesn't know right now. And I'll have to stop this, because I can't do this too often, because they, they get annoyed by it. But he has mastered the art of holding something, and when I go to take it away, he just knows, he, he knows my arm's length. It's incredible how, how, how well he knows my arm's length. Have you ever experienced this? Where they, yep, okay, I can't get it. And now I have to grab you, and they know the arm's length for grabbing you, and they know how to get just far away that I didn't really grab them, I just pushed them over, Okay? And what was one of the first things that Elliot said? I'll do it all by myself. All by myself. All by myself. That's what he said. All by myself. There's this independent streak and there's this rebellion in all of us that makes us want to do exactly the thing that you're not supposed to do. We have some of our cupboards uh, got rubber bands around the knob so they can't open them, and some of them don't. And the ones that don't have rubber bands around them, they don't get in very often. They don't try to get in very often. It's funny. But the ones with the rubber bands, that is exactly the first ones they go to. So there's this little rebellion in all of us. And it starts very young. And it gets worse and worse until it peaks somewhere around 17, I suppose. And it gets worse and worse until, until your rebellion turns around on you. Until, like, say here... Like, say, with Joram and all the kings that were, and Jehoshaphat and all the kings that were trying to rebel against them. And it didn't go well for those, those nations. It didn't go well for those kings that were trying to rebel. Because the Lord really was on Jehoshaphat's side, at least. And they really were able to put down all these rebellions. They were, really were uh, able to put the vassal states back in their place and start getting tribute from them again. The, re the relationship was restored. And at some point in your life, probably, the rebellion started to go against you. And you started to wise up, and you started to have a little bit better diplomatic relations with the people, the most important people in your life. You learned a little something. You learned who you can rebel against or how you can rebel and how you can't rebel and how rebellions go. When you get exactly your way, still sometimes it doesn't go very well for you. Okay, But there's this little bit of rebellion in all of us. And why? It all started, well, let me say, it all started, it starts when you're toddlers, but it started in the Garden of Eden started in the Garden of Eden. Uh, we, don't, we probably don't preach about the fall of man very much, okay? Genesis chapter 3, uh, it, sometimes we feel like, well, it's a story that everybody knows. She ate the apple, he ate the apple, and then they found out they were naked. 
And there's so much more to it. There's so many more layers to it than that. But at the source of it all, at the heart of it all, was Adam and Eve both thinking, God doesn't love me. God doesn't have the best for me. God is above me, that's for sure, no doubt about it. But he says he's going to be so good and, and he's going to bless us so much. And, and I admit the garden's nice, but there's something he's holding out on us. There's some way, that there's something that he hasn't given me. There's a cabinet with a rubber band around the knob, and it's called this tree. And it's, every other tree around here is also pleasing to the eye and very good for food. What is it in them that made them want that one? Because there was something in there. There was something in there that God was holding out on them. And, okay, so we've got rubber bands around these things. You know what's inside there? Bleach. All right? It doesn't taste good. It stings. It's poisonous. It's very harmful. All right? What's in the other one? All the baking stuff. Okay, and that's good stuff. All right? But you'll still get a tummy ache if you eat all of it at one time. And it's not like we deny them the stuff in the baking cabinet. We just give it to them in the best form, right? So anyway, at some point in your life, and it probably happens daily, maybe not daily, I hope not daily, but you doubt God's love, you doubt that God's plan and God's parameters are good for you, and you start feeling like a vassal state, and you say, I gotta throw off these chains because God is holding me back, just like my parents were holding me back just like the teachers and the principal were holding me back, just like my boss is holding me back because they don't want what's best for me. And that's not true. That's not true. But convincing ourselves that it's not true is very, very hard. We've bought a lie that freedom, independence are so much better. As a culture, every once in a while, we'll throw off everything that we know to be good and true and experiment with everything we possibly can until it finally comes back and says, okay, we experimented with that and we saw the devastation and now we're going to come back to more or less moderate living again. We just have to try these things out for ourselves from time to time. And it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. The fact is, it's better to be under the Lord. It's better to be inside his parameters. His parameters there are not a, a fence that hold you back or don't let you do something. It, it's, a, it's a fence that doesn't let the wolves in. It doesn't let the wolves in. And being under the king, especially if it's a good king, is not such a bad thing because you go with the power and the authority of the king everywhere you go. And this king that's being crowned here, whoever he is, whoever it is that actually wrote this, whichever king it was in Israel that actually wrote this, they were, they were a, a mediocre king at best. Because all of this points to who? It points to Jesus. And Matthew quoted this. This is one of the reasons I really wanted to preach this, is because Matthew quoted this. You are my son. Today I have become your father. And how did the devil, remember in the temptation story, how did the devil tempt, uh, tempt Jesus? Worship me and I'll give you all the nations. I'll give you all the nations and you won't have to go through the, through the crucifixion to get them. But what is the promise in this? You're my son, today I'm your father, I'm going to give you the scepter, and all the nations, all the nations, all these nations will be your inheritance. I'll give it to you. The devil says, no, 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 let me give it to him. They're mine right now. I'll give them to them, to him this other way. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to take it God's way. I'm going to win them back God's way. 
Jesus wants all the nations. He wants all of us to become his vassals. He wants all of us to become his slaves even. And does that sound awful? For most people, that sounds absolutely awful. St. Paul always introduced himself as, hi, I am Paul, the slave of Jesus Christ. And I think he would come back and he would tell you, yeah, I lived independently for a while. Yeah, I lived on my own for a while. Yeah, I was top dog for a while. But I wasn't. I was awful. And actually, I was a slave to sin at that time. The thing is, humanity thinks that they have this power for independence. We think we have this, uh, this, uh, this possibility of being completely independent in our own person. The Bible's quite clear. You're a slave of sin or you're a slave of Christ. Which one do you want to be? You're going to be one or the other. However independent you want to be, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out for you. You're going to be one or the other. Which one will you choose? And who wants to be a slave to sin? A lot of people don't want to be a slave of God, but who wants to be a slave of sin? Who wants to be a slave of, 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 of addiction? Who wants to be a slave of pornography or something like that? Who wants to be a slave of violence? Who wants to be a slave of their own rage? Who wants to be a slave of jealousy? Nobody wants to be a slave of those things. But that's what we choose often. And what happens? What happens if you say, okay, I'm going to stop being a slave of sin, and I'm going to start being a slave of Jesus? What happens? Your sin debt is canceled. Okay, that's good. You start being uh, pushed, pushed, pushed by the Holy Spirit, pushed and, and, and prodded and tweaked and convicted in your heart to start living a healthier way. And a lot of times you don't want to give up your unhealthy way of living. It's hard to sometimes give up your unhealthy way of living. Even if you know this is what's killing me, I still don't want to give it up. I can't give it up. It's impossible to give it up. Only after you've given it up, only after you've truly repented of sin, do you look back and say, wow, I feel so much better now. Wow, I'm so much healthier now. Wow, I had no idea what I was being set free from. I had no idea how, how small that prison cell was until he set me free. And even though, this is, how, this is how it is. Jesus comes, you're in this little cell, and he opens up the door, and here it says, come out. And we say, no, I don't want to. And how many years sometimes do Christians live with the door to their prison cell open and just don't walk out of it? Okay? Now, I say, it's, I say it like it's easy. Just get up and walk out. And I, I, I've been there. I know how hard it is to walk out of a certain identity, walk out of a certain habit, work out, walk out of what, what we call in Celebrate Recovery, your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups. Hard to walk out of those things. It's hard to start thinking like a free person. We all know that if somebody goes to prison for 20 years, they become what they call institutionalized. They don't know how to live in freedom. It's hard to live in open society, free society, where I can go where I want, do what I want, after you've been in such a rigid environment for so long. Here's Jesus, our counselor, our therapist, and, and the one setting us free who says, come out, just trust me, come out. I'll show you how to live in freedom. I know it's comfortable in there. I know you like living in there. I know you know every inch of that prison cell, and it's actually become a kind of a home to you. But I got a better home out here for you. Please come out. Please come out. You'll be my slave, and you'll be the freest you've ever been. Incredible, incredible the offer. But it's an upside-down offer because nobody, 
Nobody says, you know what? I'd like to be a slave of somebody. I'd like to. Jesus, put the chains on me. I was listening to a Bible teacher um, several years ago, and he was talking about slavery in the first century. Uh, and, and he said, you know, with, um, with African-American slavery in the United States, we actually have a lot of account about it. We actually, a lot of people wrote about it. Uh, and then after emancipation, a lot of them wrote their story, wrote what it was like, talked about what it was like to be a slave in the United States. But in the first century, the Greek-Roman world like that, there's really nothing. There's very little. There's very little information about what it was like to be a slave in that context. But they have found, they have found, uh, this is a very interesting, this is probably one of the most fascinating archaeological finds, this, this collar, this is a slave collar. And it had little spikes around it. And it's what, it's what a, a slave had to wear when they were out and about. And on it is etched, capture me for I am fleeing. Capture me for I am fleeing. Wow. Okay? You're marked. If anybody sees you, you can't get this thing off of yourself. If anybody sees you, they know exactly what you are, and they know to grab you and take you to the authorities right there. And he was talking about how when you become a slave in Christ, put that imagery on yourself. Put that imagery on yourself and say, put, Lord, put the collar around me so that if I start running from you, somebody will tell me, you're fleeing. You're fleeing from the Lord. You're fleeing from Jesus. I highly recommend you go back. I highly recommend that you get right back in his household because if not, what awaits you out here? You'll be caught and it'll be worse. Go back to Jesus. Stop fleeing from your master. What's the, what's the advantage? Look at the very last. Look at the very last. Say in chapter, or in verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise. <laughs> Maybe, if you're talking to me, you who consider yourself a king, the king of your own castle, all right? Be wise. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. And not an earthly leader kissing his ring, asking for his favor. Kiss the son of God. Kiss Jesus. Lest he be hang angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Jesus does have wrath, just so you know. We, often, we always present Jesus as very, very kind and very gentle until you read the book of Revelation. And when he's had enough, he's had enough. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus. Come. He's already taken all of the wrath, okay? Don't wait until it's too late. Because look at the last line. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you're a slave freeing from your master, if you're a slave of Christ, fleeing from your master, go right back to him. Run as fast as you can right back to him because it's a blessed thing to be his vassal. It's a blessed thing to be his slave. It's a blessed thing to have him as your Lord, to have him as your covering. Join me. Join the others here. We've sold out to Jesus. Beg him to put the shackles on you so that you can never run away from him. You'll be blessed if you do. Take refuge in him. If the storms are coming in your life, if you feel like the, the enemies of this world, of, of years of patterns of bad decisions are all coming right around you there, take refuge. There is a king who will protect. There is a king who will take care of you. There is a king who loves you. 
Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the warning. Lord, I rebel often. Please, Lord, help me get a handle on the rebellion. Help me to repent and start thinking of you rightly, that any parameter you give me is for my good, not because you want to hold out on me. Lord, help me to be so confident in your goodness that I shackle myself to you always. Help me not to run. Help me to take refuge. Help me to recognize the blessing that it is to be your slave. In Jesus' name I pray.